Welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. So typically, we've got to think, although transparency is good, will consumers use that information and the evidence in many um, uh, industries is, is that they actually don't use it very much. Today, ANZ's Richard Grayson chats to the University of Melbourne's Anthony Scott on the changing business of healthcare. We hope you enjoy the discussion. I'm pleased to be joined today by Professor Anthony Scott from the University of Melbourne, who's here to discuss the recently launched ANZ Melbourne Institute Health Sector Trends Report, which he researched and authored. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Richard. So this is a second in a series of health sector-specific reports commissioned by ANZ and follows the inaugural report in 2017, which examined general practitioners. This new report uses the latest health sector data to analyse the trends and challenges facing medical specialists. So Tony, could you tell us, what are your key findings? I think there was a couple of main things which came through. The first was um, about pressures in the sector from increasing supply of the number of specialists. Um, and that will have a number of implications which we can discuss. But the other main challenge was about the drive for value um, and value-based healthcare. This is an international trend um, which is really trying to um, question and challenge the things that doctors do um, to try and improve uh, the uh, value of healthcare to patients. From recollection, so in real terms, specialist pricing, real terms, the average specialist uh, had experienced a reduction in price by approximately one, sorry, 0.15% yeah. yeah. per annum. That was the average yeah. fee um, per service charged, and that price had actually fallen over time. Um, but breaking that down by bulk billing and 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 um, and services which aren't bulk billed, there's a slightly different pattern emerging. But yes, it's it's been pretty flat. Okay, that's interesting. Now, so I mean, certainly, but one of the uh, the the real themes that came through was a potential push for uh, transparency in both quality and price. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. your uh, What's your view on that? And what experience can you draw upon um, when you know, kind of discussing potential potential options that Australia may have? Um, well, I guess one of the things was that patients don't really have a lot of choice in the, in the sector, um, choice of specialist, choice of where to go and who to see. Um, that normally uh, it's, it's the GP who chooses on their behalf, who, who knows some information, but again, not they don't know all of the specialists in the area. And the GP doesn't know all their prices and the GP doesn't know all of their quality. Um, and one of the issues in the UK was that they'd, they'd recognised this and now it's legislated that, uh, that each GP on referring a patient to a specialist, have to give them four choices, which vary by waiting time, don't know where the hospital is, and they can go on the NHS Choices website to actually look at the performance of, of the different surgeons if it's surgery they're looking for. So so something like that here would, would, would be good for consumers because, again, it's a very complex system to navigate. So that would provide transparency in quality. Does it also provide transparency in price? Um, I think it could do, but the pricing issues are very complex because in a, in a course of cancer treatment, for example, somebody might that course of treatment might be for 18 months and they may get many, many different tests and admissions and, and visits from lots of different providers. And so although you can you know what the necessarily the price is for each particular item, such as an X-ray um, or radiotherapy, over the course of that 18 months, it, it, it all adds up and that's the bit that's hard to predict. Mm. So one of the um, one of the arguments I've heard, which runs contrary to you know, that push for pricing transparency, is that if uh, if 
prices are made more transparent, that the uh, those who are charging below the average price may end up lifting their price and therefore, um, you know, ultimately increasing the overall cost to the system. What's what's your view on that? Um, I think that's likely to be the case. It's evidence from other sectors. So, for example, um, in in petrol uh, gasoline markets, there, there's a website. Um, but not many actually consumers use that website. The people who use the website are providers, and and therefore they've got better information on prices of their competitors now. Um, so prices may rise just because of, of there's more information out there. So typically, we've got to think, although transparency is good, will consumers use that information? And the evidence in many um, uh, industries is, is that they actually don't use it very much. Yeah, so it's interesting. So there's no straightforward solution. Um, so one of well, one of the other key findings of the report uh, related to the workforce. So I think there's approximately uh, thirty thousand specialists in the system at the moment, mm-hmm. and a further fifteen thousand currently in training. Um, now I think our report observed that 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 you know has challenges, obviously, in, um, in not only training um, that large number of, yeah. um, of specialists, but also then um, if they are able to make it through just the system absorbing them and uh, allocating them in the right sort of location. Yeah. Could you talk to us a little bit about what you see as some of the, the challenges for the workforce? Um, I mean, it, you know, the, the number of specialists are growing faster than population growth and certainly faster than the number of GPs. Um, and some of the issues are how to um, allocate those numbers to where they're best needed geographically as well as um, in total, uh, and sometimes the um, the the medical colleges have a certain view about how things are happening. So I, I saw in the in I think it was some report the other day that that one college I can't remember which one you know because they're going to get so many of their doctors retiring, they have to replace them. That, that that's their view of it, not necessarily that actually well. Considering our broader healthcare needs, do we actually need more of this particular kind of doctor overall? So their thinking is 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 narrow, um, and and it's very hard, um, I guess, to get them to think more broadly than that. To say, actually, well, do we need more of this kind of specialist? Because of course, specialists are subspecialising to an extent now that that you know um, th- they can't transfer easily to other um, areas of application within their own specialty. Um, so that, that, that's another issue as well. So if there's a shortage for their particular thing that they're trained for, um, uh, or, or, or there's not enough patients to go around, they're kind of stuck with that, and therefore they end up doing other things which aren't um, to, to, uh, to, to the well, they're not practicing to the top of their license. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other one of the other challenges that I've heard discussed as well is that if you if we were to end up with an oversupply um, of a particular number of specialists, then um, there is a, a, a possibility that we may see an increased prevalence of what's been determined as low-value care, mm-hmm. which is the um, the care provided where there's not necessarily an absolute need. Now, low-value care has been something that's been um, pointed to by mm-hmm. um, by you know certain commentators as one of the things that's putting more cost into the system. Yeah. Um, with the number of specialists coming through being so significant, are we likely to see an increase in low-value care rather than a decrease? Um, it's possible. I mean, we, we, we don't know, but I think one of the things about low-value care, it's, it is about providing treatments which which uh, the, 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 va- the value or the benefit to patient is, is low or questionable or even harms patients. It's also about things like over-diagnosis. Um, you, you know, if, if, you, if you have an MRI body scan, you're going to find something, but you can't necessarily do anything about it. Um, but the, the fact that you found it means that 
people will do something about it, even though it's not really necessary. And then also um, changing disease definitions. So trying to expand disease definitions. So that often um, it, it might be the case if, if we have an increased supply um, uh, and, and the demand isn't there, that, um, that, that the doctors might, might perhaps change some of these definitions in order to, to find something to do. But nevertheless, it's still quite hard for them to... Um, uh, to uh, really use what they've been trained and they have been trained for a long, long time um, and to come out of that to a market where there's not enough demand for their services, um, is it, it, it's hard to do something about that, I think, as well. Mm, certainly. And, um, I mean, a, a corresponding flow-on impact from that as well as potentially some impacts on business models. So mm-hmm. um, certainly we've you know we've heard rumours of increasing corporatisation of the sector. What... Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think might be some of the trends that we'll see in um, in relation to business models for specialists in the future? It's already happened in general practice in one sense because over time the number of single-handed GPs has fallen. I think it's below 10% of all GPs now. Everybody else works in a group of some kind. Um, and, and that's been driven by, by corporates as well. Uh, but obviously the, the benefits of economies of scale, if, if there's pressure on the sector from increasing value healthcare, and also from increased supply, uh, we think it's more cost-effective to reap economies of scale and join together, where you can share the costs of equipment, infrastructure, rents, and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, and 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 that you know, there's not a lot of evidence about that happening, but certainly anecdotally, people are saying yes. There, there's these larger companies setting up now where um, where they're um, employing or contracting with larger larger medical groups. That's been a really interesting conversation, Tony. Thank you very much for your time today. Um, We greatly appreciate you sharing your insights in this report. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod.